You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Preppy Podcast. And what's more preppy than embroidery? So I am so excited to be interviewing um, the woman behind Jefferson Lane, a brand that started with uh, embroidered products and now even has a resort clothing line. So we had a great time talking about that decision to add clothing um, and ready to wear to the collection and everything in between. It's really interesting because she juggles um, a full-time corporate job too. So I think any of you who sort of have a side hustle or dream of having a side hustle and creating your own brand, this is a great episode for you. Uh, Before we get into it, though, I want to let you know that you guys can support the podcast by, of course, subscribing to this, sharing the podcast with some of your friends, um, leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast, and also shopping any of the merch on thepreppypodcast.com. There's clothing on there. There's some accessories, lots of fun things. Um, and whenever you purchase those products, it helps support the podcast so I can keep doing it. So I so appreciate that. Uh, but let's get into the episode. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Sure. So Julie Hunt, I'm the founder of Jefferson Lane. Um, I live in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and I started Jefferson Lane back in, gosh, I feel like it was 2016 or 2017 is just like a DIY blog. Um, and the rest is kind of history. I'm happy to walk you through the timeline of everything too, and kind of how it evolved. Definitely. Well, before um, we get into that, like, I want to learn a little bit more about you before the brand even. So what was your childhood like? Like, obviously, your business, which we'll talk about more later involves um, like embroidery and sewing and um, Mm -hmm. stitching, things like that. So were you always like a crafty kid growing up? Were you into style? Um, What was childhood like for you? super crafty. Um, I consider myself to be millennial Martha in a way. My mom, I really got it from my mom. She's Mm -hmm. the true queen and she's kind of always been behind the scenes helping me with Jefferson Lane. But um, she always was super crafty. We would go to craft shows. She was into quilting. She would teach me how to sew. I would sew things with my grandmother. And my mom actually um, worked for a porcelain doll company. So she used to do that out of our garage in California. Um, I grew up, I'm, a, I'm the product of a, of a military family. So I partially grew up in San Diego um, and then obviously in the Virginia area and we had a family farm. And so down near Charlottesville, Virginia. And so I kind of, whenever anyone asked me like, where did you come from? Where are you from? I'm like, I don't, I just kind of bounced between places in California and in the Virginia, Southern Virginia area. Um, but yeah, always grew up with the crafts. I, because my parents both were working like multiple jobs. My dad was 
in the military, I was always sent to like those kinder care type of like early morning before school um, kind of like uh, programs. And they always had crafts. And so I feel like between my mom and between those kind of programs, I just really evolved into my crazy craftiness that I, that I possess today. So. I love that. That sounds fun though. And it sounds like you, um, you know, enjoy the creative process. Totally. I totally do. It's, it's, but it's almost one of those things that's like, it can be debilitating because you have so many wild ideas and your mind is always thinking creatively. It's really hard to turn it off. And I think like my biggest enemy when it comes to all the craftiness and all the ideas that I have is I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time in my day. That's how I am too. I'm like such an ideas person. And the worst is recently, like the past couple of years, it's always right before bed and I'm not a night owl, but it's like, I cannot turn my brain off at night recently. Yeah, no, it's hard. That that's I definitely have had like sleep issues because of things like that too. Because my mind is always racing. Mm-hmm. So okay, you were always crafty. Um, it sounds like you had a fun childhood. So when it came time for college, like where and what did you study? Did you study anything that had to do with art or design, or was it a completely different thing? So what's funny is, so I went to University of Virginia down in Charlottesville. Um, I went in with a very specific purpose. I wanted to get into their commerce school. It was highly competitive at the time. It was like, I think it was like number one or two. And so I worked my tail off my first year and second year so that I could apply and get in for my third year. And I wanted to do finance and real estate. So I I, I um, concentrated in finance, real estate, and management at UVA um, and got the commerce degree. But it's funny because on the side, I wanted to just do something fun. And so I actually did studio art and I almost, I took so many classes that I almost like got my minor in it. I think I was like one class off, but it was for me just that creative outlet. Like I needed something to balance kind of the nerdy quantitative side of all the things that I did. So, um, I did that just for fun. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. So where do you think, you know, that more, um, analytical, like number brain came from? You know, I, growing up, I loved math. My dad is really good with math and numbers. And I think that I just like to solve problems. And so that's kind of one of the things that obviously has catapulted me in my career. Um, But also it's just kind of a genuine interest into solving something. And for me, mathematics and numbers always, you know, kept me inquisitive and engaged um, and intellectually curious, I guess. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, Okay. So after college then, what was your first career in? Did you go into something then um, that had to do with your degree? Um, yeah, so I did. So I actually, I interned in between my third and fourth year for a real estate investment trust that's up here in the Northern Virginia area. And I actually joined them full time when I graduated in 2013. Um, and I actually recently left there. So I had been there. It was almost, almost nine years as of May, um, for a variety of reasons, but, you know, I've taken the time to use this as a sabbatical, but what I was doing there is I, it was 
you know, obviously real estate underwriting, portfolio management, um, et cetera, very, very quantitative, uh, very entrepreneurial. And it was a lot, obviously, Mm -hmm. with with Jefferson Lane on the side. And um, so I've kind of taken the time now to just refocus, decompress, and I actually will be starting because I thrive in chaos. Um, another job for fun, which in August, and it's a real estate underwriting team role at Bank of America. Oh, wow. Awesome. I feel like you are a unique unicorn then on this. I feel like a lot of people, they like start in a career and then do something as their creative outlet on the side and then leave, you know, the first career completely. But I, I get it. Like, I, know, I like, I you know, you, you like a little bit of both, I feel like. And I'm someone that I thrive better when my plate is like overflowing and full. So I, I get it. <laughs> I'm I'm the same way. And I, I definitely think like through the pandemic, like everything was really trying to kind of keep up with. Like I was growing at an insane level and I didn't really have like, you know, the right team and people in place. And I'm still figuring some of that out, but I feel like, um, you know, at least since May, I've kind of stepped back and been able to reevaluate and figure out some of the things that I want to have in place so that I can just better scale and have other people to help like while I'm, you know, still intellectually engaged through, you know, a corporate America job. But we'll see. We'll see how long that lasts because I I know that I I am very much a unicorn in that respect. Like it's a lot to be able to do both. And all my friends and even people I meet, they're like, how the heck do you do? Like, do you sleep? And I'm like, honestly, no, for a number of years. Like I I just feel like I have been awake for two years because I've been like operating at an insane level, but it's really rewarding. Um, you definitely have your moments of like burnout. Um, and I think that that's natural and, and all entrepreneurials have, have faced that. But, um, for me, it's been really rewarding to kind of like be able to juggle all the things that I've been able to. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, having the corporate America job provides some stability so that, um, your brand is still fun. Like, I feel like that's sometimes the hard part is um, making it still your passion. Sometimes it's taken away when you have to do a full time and everything, you know, relies on it. Exactly. And that's for me, something that's always been important is like, I want to be able to live the lifestyle that I want. And (laughs) I don't want to necessarily be in a position where it's like, you know, you have to, you have to sacrifice everything and it becomes really, really stressful, mm-hmm. um, depending upon your personal situation. And so, yeah, definitely the security stability is what I like. And then it makes Jefferson Lane just fun for yeah. me. So let's get into Jefferson Lane. So you yeah. mentioned that originally it started as a blog for you. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. Like when and why did you decide to start a blog? So it was more just DIY stuff. It was like, I want to document my little crafts because I love to do crafts. And I was, um, I kind of started to do that. And then people in the area asked me to do pop-ups or um, events that like multifamily uh, developments to like teach people how to do things. And I was like, oh, really? People are interested in this? And so I would go and I would teach classes on like how to make something various projects that I would collaborate with whoever like the development office was to come up with. And I would just document all my little crafts. And it was more 
likewise, when I was in college, like how I had the studio art piece, and then I had the nerdy finance real estate, mm-hmm. I needed this blog as that creative outlet for me. And so that's really the impetus of why I started it. And it obviously evolved into what it is today, but it was like a roller coaster of an evolution. Um, I feel like So I did a lot of DIY and things for my wedding and my wedding ended up getting featured in the Washingtonian. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's something that I'm doing. Like I'm teaching these DIY classes. Like I'm like blogging about these DIY things that I do that people like. And so I, um, you know, one of the things that at the time I couldn't really find at least locally, I know Etsy now you can find it everywhere, but it was like this monogrammed silk ribbon. I really wanted it as part of my bouquet. And so um, my mom and I ended up sourcing something from overseas, but I was like, you know, maybe this is a small little like niche that I can do on the side with the DIY is like I create and hand dye these beautiful silk ribbons for like the wedding and event industry. And so I started to do that. Um, And then that kind of evolved into like, okay, I'm going to do bows. And then, oh my gosh, I've really been wanting to try this embroidery. Let me do the embroidery. But in between all that, and this is like the wildest thing, I have always been known because I'm so crafty and Miss DIY at being a little seamstress. And one of my girlfriend's moms at the start of the pandemic was like, hey, like, can you sew a face mask? Can you make a face mask for um, my girlfriend? Because she was living in New York at the time. Obviously, you couldn't get face masks anywhere. And she what had um, was immunocompromised. And so I was like, oh, my God. Like, I... I don't really know how to make a face mask. I don't really find a pattern. How do you do that? And so I, I made it up. And um, from there, it's like then all these random people, word of mouth, saw things and they were like, can I, can you make that for my whole family? Oh, can you make it for my business? Can you make it? And it blew up. And so 24 seven, I had to put all my crafts and bows and things on hold. I was sewing every night, every morning, like in between my job. And my job was not necessarily a nine to five. It was obviously beyond that. And um, so I would be up to like 2am sewing face masks. And then anthropology picked me up. They found me on social media and I was sewing crazy face masks, like thousands for them. Oh my gosh. All you just sewing at that point? It was me. And then I ended up finding two other girls to help me because they were also like embroidered face masks. So (laughs) we would embroider them before you could sew them together. And I was doing that. Gosh, I think things like let up through October, September, October of 2020. And that was when finally I could regroup and think about, you know, the cashmere and the embroidery and the things that like my mom and I always wanted to do. And that's when we launched our first cashmere cameo. Um, because I finally, I was so sick of sewing face masks. I, I can never sew a face mask again. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to see another one of this. <laughs> I have a new appreciation for people that like their full-time job is sewing because it's, it's monotonous and it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So then your big product you focused on were these cashmere sweaters. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about 
how you did that? Like, were you sourcing sweaters and then embroidering them? Were you designing even the sweater aspect? Um, like what, cause that was a completely different, you know, business. Yeah. And it's one thing to go from accessories, like, right, you know, ribbons right. and bows to clothing. That's a whole other beast, right? Oh, it's a whole nother beast. And a lot of it like is you just figure it out. It's trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was sourcing them originally um and then we would embroider them mm-hmm. and then from and and a lot of the people that you source with you just have to get permission or they'll do the private labeling for you mm-hmm. um for whatever it is and so we started with that and now I obviously have worked my way over the last like year or two where I'm kind of designing different styles so that's the phase that I'm in but initially we just sourced them did private labeling and embroidered them accordingly Okay. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about your clothing because I'm obsessed with it. I have your green jumpsuit and it is like so amazing. I love it. So how like did you start that then? Because, you know, once again, (laughs) private labeling is one thing. Designing something from scratch is another, like finding the manufacturer, all the above. Um, So tell me about like the decision and the process. Yeah. So one of the things that I mean, I've always like dreamt of having my own designs, Mm -hmm. my own clothing, my own textiles, like all of that. And I didn't go to FIT, right? Like I have the business background, but I don't necessarily have the fashion expertise Mm -hmm. or our technical training. And so it's a different language. And um, so for me, I actually, through social media, reached out to other girls who were like entrepreneurs just to pick their brain and ask them like, hey, like, how did you get started? Like, do you know any designers that freelance? Do you know, like, and that, and that's how I got the ball rolling. It was Mm -hmm. just shooting in the dark, picking people's brain, you know, probably like five times out of 10, some people just don't respond to you. But, um, and that's okay. Like I get it. You get lost in the DMs, but, um, that's how I found my designer who then took like my mood boards, all the things that I wanted, like every detail that I had and translated it into a formal tech pack. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, she was then able to communicate with the manufacturing company and go through the whole sample production process to ensure that it fit exactly what I wanted. Um, And so the reason I kind of started with this clothing line was trying to find ways that I can scale and still come up with beautiful pieces that I'm taking myself out of fulfillment. Like the Mm -hmm. embroidery piece is always going to be something that's important to me and we will forever, you know, have new styles on that side of things. But I've also always wanted to get into some of the other apparel items that aren't necessarily bespoke. And this was kind of for me to play with and see how it went and see what the process was like and to learn. And if anything, like that's what I wanted out of it is Mm -hmm. to just be able to see like, what does it take to fully scale a brand? What does it take to launch something like, and believe me, like the challenges and the mistakes you make along the way add up, but at least I'm learning. And for me that I think it's just the intellectual curiosity that I've always had to like do something a little outside of my comfort zone that's pushed me to do it. And I feel like, you know, for me, I really, I've always been one of those girls that 
has worn no joke resort wear all year round like it's like okay it's the dead of winter and you're wearing neon pink like what's happening and I used to get made fun of that um at, at work because I was always so colorful and so bright. And so I really wanted like these pieces to be pattern filled, like different silhouettes from what you could find out there and kind of like a hallmark of, of me and, and my personal style. And obviously it's a very different, um, a very different vibe from some of the traditional, grand millennial type of embroidery that we do that's timeless and sophisticated. Like this caters to kind of one of the buckets of my target customer base and following. So um, for me, it was fun. I wanted just to see how things like could scale, what it would take to make you know, your own clothing line actually launch. And I did it in a small batch collection. So I know I was really worried about <laughs> But, um, yeah. But no, I, there were so many little nuggets in there that I think are so useful. I think the first is that if you want to have a brand and you're not a designer, like there's still ways to do that. You just need to find someone that's a designer and you do that by asking questions, like connecting with people, um, you know, hitting up Google, whatever it is, like, if that's something you want to do, I'm all about like, you can be and you can do whatever you want, as long as you like put in the work. So I love how you were like, you know what, I want to try this, like, and you went after it and did it. And then I think the other important aspect there is you realize that you had this great product, there was demand for it, but it, it, it wasn't scalable. It wasn't something that like, you know, you could continue to do at that rate forever. Um, right. And I think a lot of people, because designers, it starts as such, or even people with a brand, it starts as something with a passion or a creative outlet, and then there's interest. And so learning mm-hmm. to scale is such an issue for so many people. So sometimes that means pivoting and, you know, picking yeah. a completely new product to sort of do. Yep. Exactly. And I think, you know, like, look, people, everyone would start their own clothing line if it was easy. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It, it's very tough. I will say that there is not, at least from what I found in my experience, and, and mine is I'm obviously a novice when it comes to all of this. Like I have an eye. I know what I like. I I feel like other people, you know, kind of support that and like it too, but there's not full transparency in that industry. And so it's really hard to find the right manufacturer, find the right people. Like there's only so much that's available online. And I think that also just in the industry, sometimes people feel like threatened if you ask some of those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, well, I'm not giving you my manufacturer. I'm not going to like really help you. And and that's where, that's where I think, you know, community over competition is so much more important than that. And there have been real gems out there of girls mm-hmm. that have like, you know, taken the time to like help educate me and give me that opportunity because I don't have that. I don't yeah. have any that experience. Um, and I think that also like, especially I, I really wanted to do things in the US and I obviously ended up working with a manufacturer in India and it can become like logistically difficult, right? Just from a time difference, um, duties, customs, all that stuff starts to add up. Um, and I think the one thing that's that I have found that's difficult about working with 
people in the U.S. is a lot of facilities aren't like fully integrated. And when I say fully integrated, I mean like they source the fabric. They help you do the pattern making. They do the pleating in-house. They do the cut and sew too. Like in the U.S., a lot of shops are all individual. It's like you Mm -hmm. send it to one person just to do pleating. You send it to just this person for cut and sew. They don't source for you. You have to get a mill to print X, Y, and Z. And so because it's so separate, it can become very overwhelming and very difficult for people to like figure out one house that they can use on top of the fact that it's obviously more expensive in the U.S. So, um, you know, that's the one thing that I I have found to be really difficult through all this. And it actually inspired me that like 10-year plan is someday I'm going to own that manufacturing fully vertical unit and I'm going to have an emerging designer <laughs> program for people like me, right? That it's like, hey, let's work on like a small batch collection and get you launched. And it's just nice to be able to have something like that domestically and the resources domestically that don't like, you know, cost you an arm and a leg. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's one thing that, in my opinion, through going through this whole process is... um has been missing, at least from what I've been able to find. So no, definitely. I've heard that a lot too. And I I know, you know, so many people want to manufacture in the US, but like you said, it is so hard. There's so many more steps. It's more expensive, but I think a lot of people are fine with the more expensive part. It's just like you said, the ease of um, having it all in one place is is a lot harder here. So I love that goal. You should like need to make that happen. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, it's good to have goals, but that way at least you're working towards something. Yeah. So um, when it comes to Jefferson Lane, what would you say is like your best form of marketing? Like, you know, has it been social media? Is that how Anthro found you for the mess? Or like, is it really yeah. um, word of mouth? Or what would you say? I would say it's Instagram. And mm-hmm. what's crazy is like, I don't even do half the things that I should do from a marketing perspective, whether it's email campaigns or like Pinterest or all the different stuff that you're supposed to do, like sponsored, boosting your posts, like creating campaigns for some of that. I'm the worst. And part of it is it takes time, right? Mm -hmm. Like just doing social is and marketing is a full-time job in itself. And as an entrepreneur, like I'm sure many of the girls that you've interviewed probably echo the exact same sentiment. You are wearing a hundred hats. You are content creation, photographer, customer service, fulfillment. And especially with the things that we do, they're manual. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, some of our cameos can take us four to five hours a piece. And so it's like time is unfortunately the enemy of, of, sometimes my growth and sometimes the things that I want to do because I just don't have enough of it. And um, I think that that's really important, especially when you're like evaluating how you grow and where do you go from here? Like, what am I willing to spend to, you know, have someone help me? Because Mm -hmm. otherwise it's like, you're not fully tapping into your potential. And, and I'm one of those people. It's like, I'm the doer. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do this. I can do that. Like I was doing our QuickBooks. I mean, it was a mess. And it was like, (laughs) I keep up with it. And I finally was like, you know, I'm hiring the QuickBooks person. I'm hiring the tax person. I'm hiring because it's the only way that 
if I start to do that, that I can take myself out of these administrative type of things to be able to focus on the creative outlook and future for my brand um, and growing it accordingly. So no, that, that makes sense completely. Um, so let me ask you then, obviously you have this new corporate job coming, I think you said in August, um, yeah. you tried clothing, like what, do you want to do more, um, like ready to wear clothing or do you want to stick to the embroidery now that you have tried that? What are you thinking? Like what sort of is next in that aspect? Yeah, I think I will do both. Um, For me, this was fun. And I, like many of the things that I do, I test, like Mm -hmm. I test the market. And um, it's just to see like, oh, does this work? Do people like it? So Mm -hmm. I think that I probably will do like in the future, some sort of mommy and me collection Mm -hmm. of a ready to wear line. Um, But I also know that I have like, five other pokers in the fire right now with other things that are going on. So I'm trying to like not get ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I think the knitwear is something that will always be our bread and butter. And I really want to come up with fun and new designs and like maybe some chunkier type of styles with like fun embellishments or things like that, because I've always been one of like, my style has always been a little bit wild and I feel like some of the sweaters are very tame in that respect. And Mm. so I I think that having a fun element of me, whether it's through some sort of embellishment or something like that, um, is something that I do want to do in some of our future designs and styles. But yeah, we're definitely going to be working through some, you know, new and exciting collaborations. And then also just you know, sweater type of designs since clearly that has been like one of our, our hottest, uh, sellers and also like a part of, of what has always attracted people from the beginning. Definitely. It's like, it's your core, right? It's my core. Yeah. So speaking of collaborations, you mentioned collaborations, like who would your dream collab to be with? Or like, who's your dream Jefferson Lane girl to like wear your pieces? Oh, dream. That is like such a hard one. I feel like there's so many people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think I just like most girls, I'm like obsessed with Love Shack Fancy and I've obviously done trunk shows there. I think I would just, you know, like be fangirling over and over again if they asked me to do a collaboration. If Nellie Diamond from Hill House asked me to do a collaboration for something, I think I would die too. Um, But my biggest fan from the beginning that I've always had a huge amount of respect for is um, Katie Kime. So Mm -hmm. she's out of Austin and I love her. Um, And I know that I'm hoping that maybe she and I could put our heads together at some point soon to come up with something, but she is like the queen of pattern and I've always been obsessed with her. And she, um, when I actually, so she custom designed my bridesmaids dresses for me. And, um, when I had my bachelorette down in Austin, her store threw us a, um, a bachelorette party. Oh my gosh, that is so fun. I did not know that. Yeah, it was really fun. And so I'm like, I and I was almost sick going to it because I was so nervous to meet Katie in Aww. person. And she is wonderful. And um, so I think that 
that would probably be the most sentimental collaboration that I would do. That is so cool. So I guess this kind of my next question relates to that. Like who or what inspires you? Is like Katie someone that uh, you look up to for business? Like tell me some people or some places and things where you get inspiration. Yeah. You know, I would say Katie definitely is inspiration. I think like even, even my mom and my mom and I were always like antiquers growing up too. Um, and so just from all of the antique hunting and even, you know, the quester stuff that she would do growing up, I feel like I kind of had this eye for some of kind of that like old age, very grand millennial um, style that existed in a lot of the things that she and I would hunt for. And so I've gotten inspiration just from things like that. I would say um, I love Ula Johnson too. Like she's always been an inspiration with with her silhouettes and styles. There's another girl that um, I've always sought huge inspiration from and she's out of Colombia. Um, and her name is Eugenia Fernandez. And I've always been obsessed with her brand. They're very playful, kind of wild styles. And, um, you know, I, I think that for me to what at the end of the day, like everyone can have beautiful pieces and you can be inspired by like the brand behind it. But what's more inspiring is I think like the work ethic of what people put to get there. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of work. And so I've always been, you know, I know for Katie, like she's been at it and I've watched her evolve over the years too. And it's been something that I've always looked up to. And I think that your brand isn't always meant to do one little thing forever. Like I think it's okay to like branch out and do different things. And I've watched her evolve over time too. Like she used to do, she used to have her own furniture. I don't know if you remember that, but I, I was to just going to say that. I was like, I feel like yeah. that was the first thing I remember about Katie is like yeah. that chair with the, um, the, the big back and yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, so I think that like, I don't know, I find a lot of respect in people that have resiliency and can kind of move through things and it's okay to evolve. Um, and so, yeah, I think, to rattle off a few, those were those were the ones that initially come to mind. No, for sure. That's so funny. When you were talking about her, I was like, I remember that chair. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes. Um, so since this is the Preppy Podcast, I always ask everyone, what does Preppy mean to you? And obviously, like embroidery, I feel like that is so preppy. But how would you describe Preppy? Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, embroidery definitely. But I would say like Preppy to me is kind of timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, it's timeless. It's, it's, I don't want to call it simple, but, but kind of like, and not in a negative way, it's simple in that it's clean designs that don't have a ton of distraction. Um, and I feel like I, was preppy for a number of years and I still feel like I am preppy in certain regards, but I have like bipolar outfits. Um, and (laughs) I, I think that like preppy also to me is just like, I like, I think of ginghams. I asked my husband this question. I was like, what do you think of preppy? And he was like, 
oh, I think of places like Nantucket. I think yeah. of Charleston. Like I think of, you know, it's just, it's it's more of like your muted, neutral, not neutral, so like muted pastels, um, clean lines, and obviously embroidery is a part of all of that. <laughs> I love that. Um if someone wanted to start a brand, um, what advice would you give them? I mean, I think it's so interesting because you have a, more of a corporate background. So like, yeah. what advice would you tell them if they were like, hey, I want to start my own brand? You know, I think that you have to step back and really evaluate, like, what do you love? What are you passionate about? Right. And then from there, kind of like, create a loose roadmap. You don't need to have everything figured out, but you kind of need to have some sort of a vision because at the end of the day, like you will evolve, but you want it to be somewhat cohesive so that you're not like all over the place. Like for me, um, and I apologize, I'm giving you an example, but like when I started Jefferson Lane, it was, I was very thoughtful about the name. I was like, I'm doing a DIY blog, but I want, I feel like there's longer term impact for this. And so I wanted something catchy. I wanted something for future branding. And it actually was named after my girlfriend, Lauren, who started the DIY blog with me, but she had to drop off because of her investment career. Um, (laughs) And we both went to UVA and it was Julie and Lauren. So it was like, oh, Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson Lane. That's where the name came about. Um, But, but that's an example of like having, um, forward thinking at the beginning. I think that also it's tough out there. It's tough on social media to be relevant, to keep up. It's tough to, um, you know, keep all the balls that you have in the air going. You're Mm -hmm. juggling constantly and not everything is going to go your way. And half the time you're realizing you forgot to do something or you didn't do something right. And now it's a financial impact to you. And I think you have to step back and not be so hard on yourself when you're starting out and know that like, this is a lesson for you and you are going to become so much better and stronger like the next time you do something and you have so much, you know, earned experience now to help someone else not make that mistake. Mm-hmm. And I really tried to have that resiliency and that positive outlook every step of the way so that when things, you know, didn't pan out the way that I had wanted, like, you just, you keep swimming, you move on. And, um, I think that that's really important whenever you're starting something is, is don't be disappointed. Like take everything as a lesson and apply it so that you can become even more successful. Yep. That's great advice. And I I definitely think the forward thinking thing is important. I always tell people like, feel like some people start designing things and they don't price it right so that then later they want to do wholesale, but they have to raise their price. So it's like, you know, things like that think ahead with. Oh, and I, and I'm, I experienced that myself. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we first started with the cashmere, like I said, I, I test with everything. I'm just playing around with it. I had no idea. I was like, I don't even know if anyone would buy this, you know? And so 
you kind of just put something out there and then it like sold out overnight. And I was like, whoa, we got to, we can't keep up with this. And so our prices, even on some of those pieces moved up over the years. And part of that too is I wasn't even thinking about wholesale, Mm -hmm. you know, like I couldn't imagine doing that at that point in time. And what I learned is that was a problem in the way that I had set some of the prices. Like when all these amazing brands were reaching out to carry your stuff or drop ship, whatever it was, it was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do that piece Mm -hmm. on there. And, um, you know, for us, we've obviously like our prices and aren't for everyone. The pieces aren't necessarily for everyone either. Um, but, it's always been very important to me to keep it somewhat attainable for people. Like obviously it's an heirloom when it comes to our sweaters, it's something special, but I don't want to price out every single person. Right. Like to me, that's something it's not, our sweaters aren't $700 sweaters, $600 sweaters. And, um, but they're still so incredibly special. And I've really tried to keep the cost of the embroidery and the labor, um, down as much as I can to be able to price it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with, with scaling, um, obviously like you have to figure that out and you have bigger overhead for minimum order quantities and all that kind of stuff. But it's so true. Like I was the victim of the pricing issue in the beginning too, from, from pricing it right so that you could even wholesale. Yeah. I think a lot of people, though, you know, fall into that. So you're not alone. No, for sure. For sure. So many Uh, So I have some fun little get to know you quick answer questions next. Sure. So what is your go-to drink? Oh, gosh. Um, I, well, normally it's rosé, but right now I'm on an Aperol spritz kick. That's so funny. Someone else I had just interviewed said Aperol spritz. I guess it's like summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like rose all day, all year. Mm-hmm. It's my normal go to. <laughs> um, what's the last thing you read? Like, do you read uh, more like business related stuff or for pleasure? And if you're not a reader, then maybe last thing you watched. So what's so funny is because I embroider all the time in every moment I have, um, I don't get to read a lot. I was reading this book that I that I just I did take and I haven't finished. It's called like Three Sisters, Three Queens. Um, and it's kind of like power struggle. But I also just finished from a a show standpoint, the show called Chance on Hulu, and it was like pretty good. And I'm also watching The Old Man, which I'm into. But awesome. you know, I know I, I can never get enough of TV. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what about your favorite piece that you sell right now? Like, which one do you just love? Oh, that's hard. Um, okay, I'm gonna don't kill me if I do two things. So <laughs> One, if it's if it's a sweater right now, I love the Lady Chanticleer, the cardigan. Um, it's very Nantucket to me. Um, if it's the resort line, it's this floor dress. I'm, I'm actually wearing it right now. <laughs> I literally wear it like two to three times a week. So um, it's just comfortable. And so I like it. That's awesome. Um, what about your favorite place to travel to and then somewhere that you haven't been, but it's on your bucket list? So, oh God, favorite place to travel to. You know, 
if it if it's international, I at St. Bart's. Mm. If it's domestic, Nantucket. <laughs> um, where do I want to go? I really am not as internationally well traveled. So I definitely want to go to Portofino and I've been dying to do one of those like um train rides through from like France to those like luxe trains yes. that and just see the countryside. Like some of them go to Istanbul. Like I think that would be so fun. And that is like a dream vacation of mine. No, agree. Actually, Will and I watch YouTube videos on those like fancy, oh, amazing trains yes. all the time. And I'm like, it's just like so old school and classic. Yes. And I don't know. It looks so great. <laughs> yes. No, it looks amazing. And I, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next for you? I know we like talked about how you still want to continue trying clothing um, and ready to wear, but like anything you're working on right now that people can look forward to, whether even it's, you know, a pop-up shop or a trunk show. Yeah. So right now my July is a little wild. I am doing a really fun, um, private residence pop-up in Nantucket and that's going to be July 27th. So I'm kind of just gearing up for that and we're doing some special like exclusives for Nantucket specifically. So I'll be sending out some details for people that they're there, that they can come. Um, And then I also am working on some special holiday capsule Mm -hmm. collections and I have an very excited. I've kept this completely under the wraps. Um, a very fun home decor piece that I've been working on for like three or four months now. Actually, no, it's been longer than that. It probably is like seven months. Oh, wow. So, um, there's so much in the era. Like I feel like between the apparel and some of the home and like there, my, my mind goes wild. Like I don't, like I don't even have enough time in the day to keep it in check and to do all the things that I want. So, um, no, I'm really excited about that. And I hope that, you know, for me, one of the hardest things too, when I had the full-time job was being able to like, you know, meet everyone's expectations in terms of people that like want to do collaborations or people that, you know, want to sell our products wholesale. And so I think one of the things that I'm really focused on for 2022, um, the rest of the year is like trying to, trying to set up some of those relationships that I've kind of had in the background, but haven't been able to fully commit to. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's something for me that I'm trying to to do. And I, and I want to be selective about it. I think that that's important. Like, um, so, yeah. Super exciting. Um, okay. My final question then is where can people find you? Let them know if they don't already follow you on social media, like what your handles are. And then of course your website so that they can go and shop your like incredible pieces. Yeah. So we're e-commerce. So it's jeffersonlanedesigns.com. And um, you can find me on Instagram. That's my <laughs> hottest marketing area. So it's jefferson underscore lane. Um, and yeah, no, I'm super excited. And hopefully my little creative space sparks joy for people. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This was so fun learning more about you and your brand. Yes, of course. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. 
I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.